Dear Jesus, we just thank you for this amazing opportunity we have to um, gather together today to be inspired by the stories of three members of our community. We just ask that through dialogue, discussion, our time together, that each one of us feels closer to one another, closer to you, that we, f we find your story being retold through our lives. We find the inspiration from each one of us. We latch on to the humanness of each one of us experiencing doubt together, uh, that it would just uh, be a unique experience for our community. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so glad you're all here this morning. You're going to really enjoy today. We're doing a panel discussion. So uh, that is not what to expect. Today, what to expect is a 45-minute panel discussion, uh, time of communion announcements, 15-minute prayer circles. I don't think anyone's really new, so I don't know if I have to go through this, but whatever. Uh, but one thing that's going to change up when we're doing this panel today, uh, it's going to be Taylor Hill, Mark Sheriff, and Lindsay is pitch hitting, filling in really quick because Denisha wasn't able to make it this morning. She'll probably be in our next panel, so you have to wait a little longer to hear that. Also, be praying for Lindsay right now as we, so that she'll just have like really amazing stories just dropping, uh, I don't know, knowledge. Yeah, just knowledge bombs. That's what I'm looking for, knowledge bombs on us, yeah. Um, something I want to try a little different, we did this in a panel several years ago um, today, uh, is that at the back we've got a little sticky note and a pen, and if you've got, if you think of a good question you think we should ask them, um, do you want to write it on there and have it passed up to me and I will try to work it in to what we're doing uh, without completely throwing off the panelists, which again can pass on anything if they want to pass or ask for more time or come back to something later. Um, but I want to read from one, one part before we have them jump in quick. Uh, it's one of the reasons we really grab onto this here at Bloom. Second uh, Corinthians chapter three, verse three, um, or actually even before that, uh, verse two. He says, "You are the living letter." Every word is burned onto our hearts to be read by everyone. You're the living letter of the liberating king. You've been nurtured by us and inscribed, not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. A letter too passionate to be chiseled onto stone tab tablets, but emblazoned upon the human heart. Uh, Paul was good about always reminding us that, that this story lives on beyond these pages, and it lives on in our lives, that you're, you're an epistle that's still being written, a letter that a story of what God is doing that's still going out. And so uh, we find your stories just as important as the stories we find in scripture. And so today these three are going to be uh, sharing some of their life, their stories with us. Uh, we do it every quarter here at Bloom, at least quarterly right now, uh, because it's important and fun and you really get to know people. Definitely if someone's story resonates with you, tell them afterwards, be like, man, that, that part, I'm so glad you shared that. that, that jumped out to me, that there was something there for me. Um, other than that, why don't we just call these guys forward and get rolling with this thing. Pick a seat, pick a mic. Thank <laughs> you. 
no beard? That's so uh, wild. Who is that guy? Yeah, they're going to me. <laughs> I know, Amy and. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I was like, oh, we're all burying our souls. Mark's just burying his face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, took a, it, it took a while to get the confidence to do that. <laughs> Yeah, we hung out yesterday, and the, I was doing a double take the whole time. I'm like, man, this is not Mark. Like, yeah, this is, something's up here. What's going on? Um, I don't need that anymore. Oh, one last thing that I don't, well, I'll say it there. No. All right. So, guys, who wants to start? Just give a little background of uh, yourself quick. Um, name, uh, where you live, work. You've got any significant others, little ones hanging on the side, things like that, uh, and something we wouldn't know about you. Uh, maybe something you're passionate about too. Some, just a little intro each, uh, and please give Lindsay grace. To, Mark, be a gentleman. Go first, and uh, we'll give Lindsay. Yeah, absolutely. Lindsay's just had to think about this stuff, so like yeah. I, I've really sprung it. <laughs> well, who you are, you gotta, you know. Uh, all right, I'm sorry. I'm trying to be polite. Yep. Thanks, uh, thanks, Luke. Hi, everybody. Good to see everybody again that I haven't seen for a while. It's been, uh, it's been a fun summer. Well, we've never seen you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is, it is me. Um, my name is Mark Sheriff. Mark Andrew. There's Teddy. Mark Andrew Sheriff. Um, I live and work in St. Paul right now, Minnesota. I grew up in, um, in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. I've lived in Minnesota my whole life, I think, except for a few years at school in Wisconsin and then uh, in South Dakota for a year. Um, probably didn't know that about me. I lived in Sioux Falls for one year. It was terrible. Wow. It was really bad. Um, yeah, I work for a company called Advanced Specialties, insuring company, so I'm in the construction business, and I do um, sales and stuff like that there, and um, yeah, that's basic stuff. I'm Taylor. Um, I currently live in what I consider to be the coolest neighborhood in St. Paul, which is St. Anthony Park. Katrina gets it. Um, I'm from Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, so like, <laughs> whatever. All the like tough kids come from Brooklyn Center. I'm just, whatever. There's definitely a rivalry going. Yeah. Um, sure. I didn't know that. We moved a lot, so like I've lived in like eight different towns, but Brooklyn Center was the first. Um, I work as an engineer, which was kind of an accident. And I went to school for graphic design, and then I told my advisor I wanted to switch to mechanical engineering, and he laughed at me. Um, so I did a fake product design degree, got a job as a designer, and they're like, hey, we'd like to have you work as an engineer instead. And I was like, suck it, advisor. This is how it works. Um, so yeah, I really like my job. And I have my only significant other is my pet rabbit, who's awesome. Does he have a name? His name's Tor Herdal. It's a pun on the name of my favorite Norwegian archaeologist. All right. Yeah, I should update that status. I just, Dudley is my significant other. He's a mutt. Is he named dog. after a Norwegian? <laughs> no, he's named after uh, Dudley uh, from Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah, the movie Royal Tenenbaums. <laughs> Bill Murray's patient, yeah. <laughs> he fits the character well, too. Yeah, he does. Did we give you enough time to come up with your name? And... Pass. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. 
my name is Lindsay Owen. Um, I am married to Matt the Brit in the back of the room. Um, I have a son named Arthur. He's 20 months old. And now every time I say how old he is, I laugh because the summer when I was in my office alone a lot because the administrators weren't there for some reason at the school I work at. I was watching a lot of Jimmy Fallon hashtags and one of them was like, hashtags, yeah, I said that. And one lady was like, um, I hate when you ask people how old their kid is and they're like, he's 47 months. <laughs> and, they're, and so then he and I don't know who that other guy is that he goes back and forth with, they're like, man, then you gotta do the math. You're like, 47, okay, your kid's almost four. He's like, yeah, I mean, then they're in college, you're like, yeah, he's 200 months. And so now every time I say how old he is, I giggle because it's like, he's 20 months. I think it's 11. Two, right, right. Right, and the lady was like, yeah, I said that. Stop telling me your kid's 200 months. Um, I work at a school. I'm the secretary to the principal. I work 12 months. I work all year. I don't get the summer off. And... I, have, I do have my license, teaching license, in vocal music education, and I like to tell people that I love teaching, and I love music. I don't love teaching music, and I didn't <laughs> want to be that kind of teacher, because I had that kind of a teacher. Um, and then I also run, I do teach, I run an after-school theater program. So we do three productions a year, and it keeps me pretty busy, and I'm really passionate about doing theater with middle school kids. Way to go. Um, Chris just sent me some pictures of them already, and so it made me think, if you have a question, you can text it to me too. I'll put my number up there if that's easier than the sticky note, um, and then you'll have my number as well. But uh, Religious upbringing. Oh, here, here's, a, here's something else to think about. Uh, I heard this on a podcast this last week, and I loved it. Uh, towards the, like, we'll find it finished with this question, but the, something that you think is weird that God created, like, why did God create this? It'll be like our final, like, laugh note at the end. And, uh, Are you reading a Twitter feed about spiders this week? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Was there a hair? Okay. All right. Religious upbringing. What, like, what's your story? What, what did you grow up with? How, how has this story brought you to here? Um, you can go in any order that I, uh, I'll start, unless, okay, um, <laughs> I, I grew up, uh, going to Lutheran Church with my family, we, um, we went to Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in Brooklyn Park, and I was, uh, you know, every, every Sunday forced to go, sat in the back, left pew with the fam every week, same spot, um, bugged my mom for candy out of her purse during church, that was kind of the... <laughs> number one most fun thing I could do um, and yeah I uh, really got involved um, in a youth group at a different church called Lutheran Church of the Master my friend Mike Melling was really good friends lived two doors down and um, they had a cooler youth group so I hung out there because ours there's never anything happening so I would go to our church and then I'd go to youth group on Tuesday nights with Mike and all those people and um, yeah it was really uh, all about church and Jesus or what I thought my conception of Jesus was and, and God and um, yeah that was uh, that was how I was brought up and got confirmed and 
I think I was always promised that I could, once I got confirmed, I could stop going to church if I wanted to, because I used to complain about having to go. And then I found out once I got confirmed, that wasn't the deal. So I kind of got, <laughs> my mom lied, <laughs> lied to me on that one. So yeah. <laughs> Because, um, yeah, that was the thing. It was like once you're, you're not old enough to make a choice yet. So, um, but by that, by that time in junior high and high school, I was really um, in, into the, that whole thing. So um, that's my upbringing, I guess. I also uh, grew up going to Lutheran Church pretty much three times a week. Yeah. Uh, we went to North Heights, and my family was like, our collective, their collective hobby was being at church. Like my dad helped like coach some of the youth programs, and like, so we were always there, which for me was cool. Like, most of my good friends were people I met at church. Like, my one of my best friends today is someone who I went to Sunday school with in third grade. Um, so like, that was, that was fun, because for like a lot of it, we were in Sunday school and youth groups and that was just our life. Um, there are some things about it that I would, you know, would have changed if I knew enough about like what my faith would look like today going back, but like that's not how life works. Um, and my family was really, really positive and rational about their beliefs and what they expected of us from beliefs. Um, my dad grew up with like an open door policy in his family, and so that's something that our family had is if there was someone who needed a place to be that was safe, our house was open. Like if our friends wanted to come hang out at our house f for as long as they needed, if they needed someone to talk to, like my dad would spend time chatting with them. We had cousins live with us, we had foster kids live with us. So we just always had people over, and my mom is like the warmest, most compassionate person I know. Like. Sometimes I think too much because I'm not that way. Um, but so like the, the kind of religion that we saw at our house was, was the kind of religion I, I think of as true and the kind of what I appreciate having as an upbringing. And it didn't always directly match what was going on at our church because it was a very large church and there were some politics about it. Um, but I always got a, a picture of what not necessarily religion, but what we called relationship or what what Jesus actually looked like at home. So that was cool. Uh, I grew up going to a church just like six blocks from here. <clears throat> I actually lived there for two years when I was uh, an adult after college as the caretaker. It was an evan evangelical church. Um, I don't know, non-denominational. I don't know what you would call it. Um, I grew up going to church where sermons were an hour and a half long and worship was over an hour. So you just learned how to sit and be quiet for two and a half hours. Hour and a half service and then worship was another hour? Oh, it was, no, Luke, there was worship before and then there was like an hour to an hour and a half long sermon and then another half hour of worship. So this is a, this is a delight. <laughs> Luke is introducing extended bloom Sundays. I'm sorry. For, th for those of you who want to, uh, I'll be singing yep. mm -hmm. afterwards for an hour if anyone wants to join me. No, and, I mean, I just remember too, like we, and, and our church, 
was very diverse because it had a missions emphasis. So we had people in our church that were like kind of like, they were missionaries to other countries, and they but they came from that other country. So they'd spend like five months in the U.S. and seven months in India or wherever. And so um, I grew up with a family from India in our church, and then they the kids were American and didn't leave the country; just the parents did, and they were Indian 100%, but they were Americans, and so. I just remember growing up and leaving the church to go to college, and my college advisor, or admissions advisor, was one of their, their children, and we would laugh and joke about how long the services are, and she could do a very good Indian impression of her mother, asking her why they didn't go to church anymore at this church, and she would say, well, why do you still go to church there, Mom? And she says in her Indian accent, well, we worship God. And I just remember thinking, like, well, yeah, we do, but it's a long time. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I, I didn't grow up Lutheran. It was very evangelical, very... Um, uh, I, I can't tell you a sermon I remember from the pastor because he had... 18 different bullet points and they were it felt like I was in college like he, he was a very smart man but he was like preached way over your head and it was hard to follow and our youth group was great I learned a lot more in youth group in Sunday school than I did at church and I just remember feeling like this was the norm you know and then kind of going to friends churches in college and being like oh yeah I guess that isn't the norm um, there's a lot of I remember feeling things were really strange, but being kind of told that you shouldn't feel that because, like, we worship God. Um, like, going up, and there was always an altar call every Sunday morning, and they even had blankets on the side because someone was going to fall over during that prayer time. And I remember. That was if you were a lady wearing a skirt and you fell over to cover you up so you weren't being immodest. Right? Right? Yeah. It was, and, and I remember standing there being prayed for. You know, for whatever reason, the altar call called me to the altar and I went down and was being prayed for and felt the pastor going towards me and being kind of like, yeah, I'm not going to. No. You know, it didn't feel like what they say is the Holy Spirit. It felt like a person breathing on you and pushing you, you know. And so there just was, but it was hard. I mean, should I stop there? Because then are you going to ask a question about after? Yeah, let's get up? into the after. Let's, let's, how, did, how has it changed from now till, from then till now? Like what's, like, has it stayed consistent? Do you follow fall away that's a funny way of saying it did you walk away change questions what what's what's brought you to today like how has your journey changed since growing up till now uh, it might not be a lot it might just be like ah, eh, not much it's been the same or it might be this elaborate journey but for me like growing up um i went to church and i i believed um what my family believed about about jesus and about grace um but there was, there was kind of a way of 
that a way of demonstrating that belief or, or living that belief at my church that was very normative and you were expected to go to church and like there was there was a point um for me it was after confirmation but it was talked a lot about during confirmation about like owning your faith or like making the choice that like apart from what I was raised as this is a faith that I want for myself and so there were a couple years in high school where I just didn't go to church and my parents were remarkably cool about it they're like we're not going to force you and like maybe they were disappointed about it but I think they understood that I was questioning like okay maybe I believe this but maybe I don't think that the way that I have gone like we've gone about living this or the way that it's maybe performed is is something that's relevant to me and what is it supposed to look like versus what do what does it mean to me and what it, what would it look like for me to believe this um, and so during high school and a couple of my early college years, I kind of didn't go to church, and then I got connected with a Bible study in college that I really liked, but still didn't go to church, and then I ended up going to a church that I really didn't like and didn't fit into. Um, and like while I was going to that church, I think there was a Sunday where you spoke about starting Bloom, um, and I was like, that sounds cool, and a couple years later, I was like, yeah, I'm probably done with this church. What was that? other church that they were talking about at this church and ended up here. And so like between high school and college, there were just a couple of years of me being like, I, I believe this, like I don't have any questions about like faith. Like I know like what, what the story about Jesus is and what it, what it means to me. But I don't think the way that I grew up with it is the way I want to keep living it. And then I landed here and especially kind of the focus on community and that the fact that you believe a certain thing extends to the people around you and and your everyday life and not it's not just a thing where you go to church like two, three, four times a week and that you have this place where you're expected to be on fire, whatever that means. Um, and they always talked about being on fire, like especially in youth group, which was called impact team because it has to be called something really intense because you're, you're supposed to be really intense about your faith at that point in your life, I guess. And I, I understood that like part of that was supposed to be evangelism, like you were supposed to bring your friends to, to youth group and you were supposed to like get people to believe in Jesus, but other than that, there wasn't a whole lot of explanation of what it meant to be on fire. It was just a thing that you were supposed to understand and, and be. Um, and for me, an understanding of what it meant for faith to be a part of your life on an everyday basis changed um, and maybe less about being like on fire and being really intense when you're surrounded by Christian people in a Christian environment and more about just looking at the Bible and looking at the lives of Jesus and the lives of kind of the New Testament apostles and what it was that they did every day and like what kinds of people they were hanging out with. Um, and that, to me, is echoed much more in Bloom than it was for me at North Heights. So that's kind of where I'm at. Can I ask one follow-up? You can say no or pass to. What, uh, what are you looking for when you're, when you're at a place that you know that you don't fit in, but you continue to be like, this isn't the spot for me, I don't really like, what is there... Um, it's just the search for 
finding true community, giving it an extra shot, is there something, what, what holds you still to a place that you're not? Um, I'm a really introverted person, and I'm a personality type known as an INTJ, so the way that people behave socially doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, and so I've kind of always felt like I don't fit in okay. um, at school and whatever. And so I usually have spent a lot of time trying to figure out, like, why am I not fitting in? Am I supposed to fit in? Like, am I comfortable not fitting in? Is there something that I can do that makes me fit in? And is So there's a whole lot of, yeah. of thinking and working through, is this a place I want to fit in? What would make me fit in? And so going to Substance, like, there were people there that I was friends with. And there were some cool things about it. Like, I, I really liked their, they kind of had a, a seeker-friendly, um, and that's more Christianese. There was a lot of Christianese in my life, and I find it really funny because I like linguistics, and I like the idea that there's this language that surrounds the, like, kind of Lutheran experience at least. Um, I don't like... I don't like it because it's exclusive. All um, like jargon-like languages are exclusive. But I think it's funny how it emerges. And so, like a seeker-friendly, like is is just a way of saying like people who haven't been brought up Christian or don't have a faith background or don't aren't comfortable with their faith background. Like that's a place where you can go and you can question and you don't have to look a certain way or believe a certain thing yet. That was something that was really cool to me about substance. And so I was like, if I appreciate something about what this church is doing is there more there that I that I can connect to and so I spent a lot of time trying to figure out like if that was a good place for me and if I wasn't fitting in if it was me and my social hang-ups or if it was something about the church and I ended up deciding that it was something about the church where I appreciated some of the things that they were doing but it wasn't for me yeah um it's a very very extrovert church like they have social groups like they have sports teams and they have like dinner groups and there's groups for everything which is cool if you are an extrovert and you really want to spend all of your free time hanging out with your church buds which is cool nothing against it like that's for like young college types who don't have a way of like making friends outside of their classes like I could see how that would be really awesome for some people. Um, but for me, I wanted to be at a place where I identified in a stronger way with, yeah. with kind of the community ideals, and that for me is this. And I don't feel like I have to struggle as much here to figure out whether I'm fitting in or not fitting in. I feel like I can be more myself, and it's not a question of like, do I fit in? It's like everyone kind of fits in if, if you want to be here. Good. And was it just kind of the re realization from all that where you were like, I think I need a change that brought you away from the one and kind of looking towards Bloom? It was just, or was there anything that stood out as to the, someone asked the question, so I'm okay. asking. Okay. Um, for me, I tend to have just these moments where I've been doing that thinking and, and kind of mental struggling of, is this a thing that I agree with? Is this a thing I want to fit into? And there's usually a moment where I'm like, I'm putting a lot of energy into this, just thinking about it, stressing out about it, or just like maybe not stressful, but like this is where my mind is spending a lot of time. And I always end up hitting a point where I'm like, moment of truth. 
is this where I want to be? And so there have been a lot of times in my life where I just, when I switch majors, when I switch churches, where I'm just like, today is the day I'm making this choice to either do this or not do this. Yeah. Um, and there was a day where I was like, this is not where I want to be. And there were a, probably a couple of months between leaving Substance and starting coming here. Um, but. No, thank you for sharing that. I think we're an extrovert or an introvert heavy church. It seems about 60%. You know, I know we are. <laughs> 60 to even 70% introverted. And so I think there's some like, uh, I think there's a lot of people that can resonate. I loved how honest you were with the way you feel just extroverts acting differently and how do you fit in and that was thanks for being so honest I think it was good for people and really quick and then these guys can have all the time um, being on the other side of that like being an introvert in a room full of extroverts has made me really appreciate how important it is that people feel like there's a space for them mm. so like Hearing again and again that Bloom is an introvert-heavy church makes me a little bit nervous that there might be extroverts who are like, I don't fit in here. Like, people don't like it when I talk too much. So like for me, like one thing that, I'm always trying to do something socially. I'm always working on something socially. If you don't know me, that's like a thing that's kind of always, I've always got a project in my head on that. And for me, like it's trying to f like figure out how to interact with people in ways that are comfortable for them. And f like at Bloom, it's like, how do I make extroverts feel comfortable with, with me? Extroverts are great. It's a different animal. All right, who's up next? Three questions deep. We have to go back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she puts the mic down. She's like, I can't talk anymore for a little bit. That was good. That was good. Um, what were we talking about again now? Um, it, what oh, kind of yeah, changes our, between, like, you, we talked about how you grew up, and yeah, versus now you're, obviously yeah, you're here. here like, here. what has gone in in the middle of that? Like, what yeah. journey, like? And, yeah, it's, uh, it's hard to remember all the things that have happened. And, um, you know, for me, high school, I was in a class called uh, Humanities. Um, it was three years, same, two teachers, had been taught for a long time. Really great class, but some really heavy um, topics. Um, and we read a lot of a guy called Joseph Campbell. I don't know if anyone else has read that guy. He talks a lot about mythology. He's a, like the mythology expert. He was. He's dead now. Yep. And as I read more and more of that and we got into it, I really started questioning, you know, kind of the legitimacy of what I was brought up to believe, that you believe in Jesus, heaven don't believe in Jesus, hell, both things are real. It's, um, and it never made sense why, you know, 80 years of decisions, and there's one decision within those 80 years, then determines this eternal thing. It didn't make sense, didn't like it, but I was okay with it, because that's what I was taught. Um, and as I started learning about um, more and more religions and mythologies and different um, just forms of religious experience, um, really started questioning. Um, got to college and started partying and didn't have a church to go to, um, so just fell away completely. Um, but always really struggled with um, kind of these existential questions. How did I get here? Why are we here? Why is there stuff rather than not stuff? I mean, um, all these kinds of things. And so, 
over time, um, I remember reading this book. Um, this, I had a kid's book growing up, and it was uh, like a Pueblo Indian tale, and I realized that, I was reading this book one day, and I realized that the story that I was reading was very much had the same arc as stories, you know, the, the Jesus story, and, and I could see how there's this huge story that everyone's trying to talk about. Everyone's trying to talk about this, yeah. um, this God thing or this, this um, entity that's not here and we can't touch or smell or taste, but for some reason we think it's there. We've had experience where we think so. But anyways, that's kind of getting off subject. I, to, in conclusion, I just dropped all belief in God, very antagonistic to God. I thought it was, he was a bad guy for making me think that I thought, well, if, if I can't, if I'm choosing, or if I can't uh, get myself to believe in this thing that gets me to heaven, um, well, he created me that way, so that's kind of screwed up that I'm going to be in hell. Um, and it's not my choice, really, so I, was just, I got very antagonistic to, to the concept of any religion, and then really started believing that a lot of the ills of the world were because of what people believed. Um, and it was very tough with my family um, because, you know, we were, that's not what we were brought up to believe, and, but I was, it was fine. Um, so that happened for, you know, a long time. And, uh, but my life, I kept making decisions that were not great, and um, I had gotten married. Um, that didn't work out, I'm divorced. That was, that was a disaster. Um, a lot of other things in my life have been disasters. Um, and yeah, I got to a place where nothing was going, nothing was going right. Um, hanging out with people that were doing stupid stuff and I was doing stupid stuff. Um, and so yeah, that was just kind of my life, but that was just one half that I, I knew about. Everyone else just saw the same mark as always, because um, I'm pretty good at hiding <laughs> what's going on. So I don't know if anyone else has that thing? Am I the only one here? Okay. <laughs> I am the only one. I thought so. Dang it. Yes, we're all just hiding it right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so that was, uh, that was kind of my, I had a good, you know, long fight with the man upstairs, and um, then one day it all kind of changed for me. Um, I was walking the dog, um, and was doing some pull-ups over at a park, and then uh, all of a sudden I just like walked away from where I was hanging out, and then just like dropped to my knees. I don't know why I did that. I think I chose to, but I don't know why I did. Um, had this like enveloping sense of being um, connected with God and everything about it, and feeling this forgiveness coming from somewhere. I don't know why it happened. Um, I said the word Jesus afterwards. I don't know why I did, but I did, and then I thought, you know, this thing is known by many names. That's kind of the first thing in my brain um, after this experience, because it was like it was a very, very much. Uh, I'd always kind of had these conditions for if I was going to believe in God or believe in Jesus. Here are the conditions that have to prove it to me, um, and it doesn't work like that, at least for me. And so, <laughs> uh, yeah, I had this moment where I did kind of feel as if. Um, I was connected to, to, to a divine or a different kind of presence. That didn't get me here, though, because it was 
immediately afterwards, I was just rationalizing the event, and um, I, had a, I have a nephew that's half Indian, and it always bothered me that, you know, what I was taught or grew up believing would mean that he was going to go to hell because his, or his grandparents would be in hell because the, yeah. they're Hindu, and it really bothered me. So I remember thinking, um, like right after that happened, well, that can't, you know, that experience you just had, Mark, can't be true because, well, yeah, remember all those conditions that you had had set and why that God isn't real and why that there's no such thing as a creator or a, some kind of, whatever you want to call it, we don't really have good words to describe that God. So, um, you know, I kind of just put it away. And then um, later that summer, I had gotten a Bloom mailer, and I saw it and I just kind of threw it away. And then uh, <laughs> went, uh, was hanging out with some friends, and uh, again, made, was still making stupid decisions, making, making bad choices. And uh, one of the things I did was take some, take a bunch of drugs one time, um, a, a bunch of hallucinogens, and uh, it was bad, like a categorical bad, bad trip, um, and made the choice to drive from like Hinkley all the way to Twin Cities when I was very, very, very in the middle of a psychedelic trip. It's not, it was bad, um, really bad. Um, and it Kids, was very, don't try to sit And it was, really, it was really scary um, and not, not at all good. But I remember waking up in the morning, and it was Sunday morning, um, and I woke up, and I was just like, what the heck is going on? Like, that was bad. Like, what the F am I doing with my life? Like, this is not good. This is gonna, I'm going to kill somebody. I'm going to kill myself or something. And uh, I remembered I had the bloom <laughs> thing sitting there. I was like, yeah. Go check out what's going on. At <laughs> that was your. That was your first Sunday visiting. Was after the psychedelic yeah. trip. <laughs> oh my God, that's so good. Yeah. So, anyways, that's uh, how I ended up here. Um, okay. But what I found since that time is that, um, for me, there's something about this Bible that we read that we've all de decided to read and, and study that. Um, Somehow God's word is getting through, and um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. So. Oh, that's good. Yeah, and uh, and then somehow I was able to reconcile um, Jesus and being okay with believing in Jesus because um, I've felt His presence and I've yeah. seen how it has affected myself and other people around me. And um, but yeah. Still make tons of mistakes, and it's nice to have uh, someone to talk to again because I didn't talk to Jesus for a long time. Yeah. So, so many people, it's that experience. It's it's not their arguments being answered. It's that, that divine revelation. Something just they experience his embrace or his. There's just something that can't be explained with words or science that you can't rationalize away. I've also read several books by missionaries who have a you know they'll they'll go outside of. America, some, most of them that have written this is even the remote parts where people have hardly touched and they're thrown back by how many stories have come up through this tribe that are mirror images of scripture stories and just how God is willing to tell his story as, as we're using today our own lives like these, he's used any outlet he can to get these messages across right. it's just humbling but it can be scary and confusing and 
And that's the other thing too, it's, um, you know, how can I ever look at another culture or religion and say that, you know, that person didn't have a, a divine experience, you know, there's no way, but, um, like I say, somehow, um, Jesus kind of pursued me. It wasn't, that's how I feel, I guess. It was the Good. opposite. It was, he was pursuing me, not, not, not me pursuing him all the time. Yeah. Pass. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just it's kidding. so funny. I love it. You don't want to go into your psychedelic? No. I, no. <laughs> well, that I'm kind laugh. of the opposite. Um, I feel like, like I went to a church and had a pretty standard Christian experience growing up. Parents, you know, went to church every Sunday morning, went to church to go to church Sunday night, went to youth group Wednesday night. Most of my good friends were from church. Um, you know, it, it was a pretty standard Christian upbringing. Um, I think for me, then in middle school, I started getting involved in doing theater outside of church plays. I know. And, um, <laughs> and then, uh, Sorry. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, started kind of, you know, getting to have different friends outside of church that had different beliefs. And, um, more so than elementary school, and then especially in high school. Uh, and in high school, um, I really struggled with my beliefs, but I wouldn't have said it out loud because you you don't do that. Yeah, or you don't get kicked out, but you get a good firm talking to, and you're told kind of, you know, no, this is what we believe. Um, and my junior year of high school, we did a production called Quilt, and it was about, I don't, I don't know if anybody remembers this, uh, in the mid-90s um, through the AIDS epidemic, there was a quilt that was made, so like everyone who had, a, if you had a family member or a friend who had AIDS, they could make this panel, and then it depicted who that person was, and then they could, then the, the panels were all put together in this giant, quilt and it was actually toured around the country to tell stories. So like when you looked at this quilt, you kind of learned the story of each of these individual people. And our high school directors were pretty open. Uh, one of them was a gay man who, who was in a gay relationship for years. Like when, the, the, they, when they could finally get married, they did. And they had been in a relationship for years before I knew him and they had a son. Um, and I loved him, but I was told, you know, you're not supposed to be gay. And I was also told, you can't audition and you can't do anything with that play because there are gay undertones with it. And I begged my parents, and I was pretty much like ostracized by my friends because I had to tell them why I couldn't do it. Because I couldn't be dishonest. But I really struggled with it because I didn't feel like that was a reason, and I didn't feel like being gay was a reason to, to be ostracized and, and to not be loved by people in the Christian community. And I really struggled with it because a good chunk of my friends were gay. 
And because of that, then I lost a number of friendships. And it really hurt, too, then when my mom went and saw the show and then we talked about it. She was like, oh, I should have let you do it. And I love my mom. I do. I love my mom. Like, we, she's one of my best friends now and, and everything. But that was, that was really hard, right? Because you're, like, sitting there trying to figure out, as a teenager, like, figure that out. And, and there wasn't really room to have a conversation about it because this is, this is what we believe. And then I went to college, and I went to a local college. I went to Bethel. And I just remember leaving this, you know, pretty great, what I felt like, Christian experience, you know, mission trips in the summer and camp every summer where you would, you know, rededicate your life to Jesus while you cried through all the horrible things you did, like lying <laughs> to your parents about walking to your friend's house at midnight, you know, those horrible things. Because um, I was, got out. I know, I was a Christian. <laughs> I didn't do bad stuff. Um, and I didn't. I didn't do bad stuff. And so... Um, I went to Bethel, and I just remember feeling like, oh, wow, this is the first time I can really feel like I can own my um, religious beliefs. And, and I don't really remember all the churches. I think I ended up going to North Heights for a little while because my friend, my roommate went there, and her parents would pick us up. And, and my roommate was my best friend since I was born. So it was, you know, pretty safe transition. And I remember really liking Bethel because the teachers would pray at the beginning of class or they would um, you know but but again I was still struggling with questioning why church would ostracize anyone you know that was a big question I was struggling with and at Bethel again at that time at Bethel you would not talk about that it wasn't a conversation that you'd bring up with anybody and then I graduated from college, and I believe I was going to a Baptist church in Roseville, again, with my roommate and best friend. And I started, wanted to get involved doing youth group, and I did, and I hated it. I, I, I would have to pray every time I drove to youth group, and I would get there, and I didn't feel connected to the kids, and I didn't feel connected to the church, and... I didn't, couldn't figure out why, and I even talked to the pastor, and he was like, no, you made a one-year commitment. And I told him, dude, like, <laughs> I, these kids don't talk to me. I try to talk to them. There's something between us that's different, and I don't know what it is, and I don't think it's worth having you want me to come and sit in the corner and do nothing. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. And finally, he, um, I think it was my mom... Had an, when I graduated from college, the person who was supposed to go on the mission trip to Mexico had sprained her ankle, and so she couldn't go. So like three days before they went, they bought me a plane ticket, and I went. And I had made such deep connection with the kids in that youth group, and I'm sure a lot of them I'd grown up with, you know, as kids in my church. But I'd made such deep connection that going to this other youth group and I wasn't making those connections was really hard. And so then I ended up. My mom was the youth pastor at the church, and she asked if I wanted to come and be the, a youth leader and go on the trip again the next year. And I said, sure, but then the pastor at my home church said, well, you have to start coming back to church for once, at least once a month. So I started going back once a month. Uh, well, that's a good question. I mean, I could be, if I wanted to be a youth leader and I wanted to go on this mission trip, I had to be attending the church at least once a month. So my face was in the seats once a month. And it turned into once a month, and then it turned into twice a month. And my whole family went there, so it was, 
nice to see my family on a regular basis. And then it turned into I just started going back to church there. And then it turned into I became a member. And then it turned into um, I was a substitute teacher and I wasn't making very much money. And rent was not super expensive, but I was living with my best friend. And I felt like I needed to save some money. And then they have a little apartment in the church. And I offered to be the next caretaker because the people were moving out. And I moved in. So I lived at church. So I, I was at church every day. Wow. And I slept there. And people could knock on my door and ask me questions. And um, Sundays I had to set up stuff in the morning. And then in the afternoon I had to set up for all the evening classes. And we had um, meals at that point on Sunday nights. And, and that was good for about a year. Um, and it was a struggle because I was um, feeling like it was my job, so why should any of you help me? Like, that's your job. And so I would spend two hours every Sunday afternoon alone setting up chairs and tables so that people could come and enjoy community. And then every night I would spend an hour to two hours taking down those tables and chairs so that you all could enjoy community. And I started to become really bitter, and I would cry every Sunday because I was not involved in community because no one was helping me. Mm. And people would stand around and talk, and I would literally be wheeling tables to the men's bathroom where they were stored, picking them up and carrying them into the men's bathroom and stacking them 12 high. Well, you all enjoyed community. And it was really hard because this is a church I grew up in, and and it, it became a struggle. Um, and then throughout that time, too, I think part of the other problem was there was a girl who came to our church who seemed rather lovely, but then she started to drive a wedge between me and my friends. And it became really difficult to the point where she sent an email out to all of us calling me out on something that I didn't think I had done. And then she started telling the pastors what a nasty person I was. And then we ended up having to go into mediation. And I kept apologizing to her for whatever she thought I did. I spoke to my boss about the stuff that she thought. I spoke to a counselor at the school. I spoke to another pastor. I mean, it got to the point where she had taken over all of my friends and I was alone. So here I am setting up community for you, and I'm alone. Mm. And I finally... Um, Another caretaking position opened up that wasn't related to the church, so I could still save money, so I moved out. And then shortly thereafter, my mom, as a youth pastor, was really struggling with the pastor and how he was treating her in such a negative way. Um, and so then my sister was getting married, and my mom was really struggling. And I, wasn't, I was still attending the church. I was leading worship two or three times a month. If I wasn't leading, I was singing on another worship team. I was working with the youth group. I was there all the time, and, and for the most part, once I moved out, things felt better, um, but I still was feeling really lonely because all my friends got swept out from underneath me, and, um, and then my sister got married, and my sister is six years younger than I am, and that was really hard because I was about to turn 30, and here's my sister who is, or I was probably about to turn 28, and here's my sister who is turning barely 22, and she's getting married, and every, all eyes were on me, like, what's wrong with you? How come you're not married? 
like your sister's getting married, but how come you're not married? And then my mom told our, dropped a bomb on our family and said, your dad and I are leaving the church. And it's your choice if you want to leave or you want to stay. But we kind of feel like it would be better if we left as a family. And so, and that was three months after my sister got married. My parents didn't want to leave because my sister was getting married at the church by the pastor. Yeah. You don't want to mess that up. You don't want to mess that one up. Nope. Right. And the pastor's daughter is my sister's best friend. So, there you go. Um, so, we, I, I felt okay with it, but it was, I didn't realize how much of a rug was going to be swept out from underneath me so quickly. Because then all of a sudden we decided to stay until the end of the year, and then we all left at the same time, mass exodus of the Grindall family in January. And we kind of left, and then... And then what? <laughs> right? Like, I've gone to church my whole life. I'm in my late 20s. I'm not married. So I would go to a church. And my parents would go to a church. And my sister and her husband would go to a church. Whatever church. And I would get in the car after church. And I'd be like, well, self, what do you, did you like that? <laughs> what was your favorite part? <laughs> did you enjoy the worship? You know, like, I had to, like, communicate with myself about it and then my parents and my sister Did you switch seats yeah i should have like <laughs> you see me crawling over the stick shift <laughs> into the next seat mm -hmm. <laughs> that was great my i didn't really like no and and so it, it felt hard and i also felt like a lot of the churches i went to um for example one church that i went to which i kind of thought i was going to stick around at for a while um a parent of a theater kid went to this church and i showed up and she came up and was really excited that I was there and then she introduced me to the pastor who was a nice nice guy and said you know uh, here's uh, she said oh she I know her from Rams well he assumed I was a parent at the school which I was kind of offended by because I was 28 middle schoolers are 12 to 14 so no I did not have a child at 14 um, and and, and I ended up going to church there for about a month or two and started to get to know people and was thinking maybe I'd get involved with the youth group there until my parents came with me one Sunday. And they sat with me, and the pastor came up, and I introduced them. And then a couple weeks later, the pastor called my dad and in, in, uh, invited him and my mom to dinner at their house for new people, and I was like, never been invited for dinner for new people. And I've been going here for two months. And then he said, and you can bring your daughter too. And my dad called and was like, we're going to dinner at Pastor so-and-so's house and you're invited too. And I said, dad, I'm not 12 and I'm not in college. Like, I'm a grown woman. Like, he could have called me himself. And it felt to me like my age and my status of my relationship mattered more than me being a person. Hmm. And so I said, see ya, to my other self in the car, and said, we're not going back there. <laughs> <laughs> right, so like I didn't go back to church there. Then my brother and I started attending another church. And I think part of it too was like, I was just feeling really bitter, right? Like I'm in my late 20s, now I'm in my early 30s, and I don't know anybody. I'm not getting married anytime soon. I don't know how to meet people. You go to church, and it's 70% women. And 
I'm not a lesbian, and if I was, then this is the wrong place to meet someone, apparently. Um, I never thought about advertising that. Man. Yeah. <laughs> you should. Hey, lesbians. Yeah. We got lots of ladies. We've got lots of ladies. Um, yeah, I, and, and ended up staying there for a while, uh, and for dumb reasons, I left there and ended up at my sister's church out in Egan. And then I met Matt, and we were dating online, and that was weird to people. That was really weird, especially to the Christian community, because you were supposed to meet someone at church, like, and that person should have been at your church, and then the pastor should know them. And so um, I got a little weirded out when I contacted them about marriage counseling, because I thought, well, we're going to go here for a little while at least until we figure things out, and ended up being told, oh no, we, we don't do marriage counseling online. You would need to come in for like a nine to 10 week session in person. I was like, we don't got that time. Because we basically, this was the one in Egan. Yeah. And then it's where my sister and her husband still go to church. Um, and I just remember feeling like I was being, again, told I was doing something wrong and not feeling like I was doing anything wrong. And that whole feeling from high school again came up of like, if we're really a church, like why are we treating people like this? And, hmm. cause I was feeling it. Maybe not as much as like someone else who, who is gay or somebody who is coming in with a different thing, but I was starting to feel rejected because I was in my early 30s and I didn't have a wedding ring on my finger. And it was, and, and my mom got married when she was 20, and my sister got married when she was 22, and so I didn't have anybody to talk to about it either, because if I'd say it, they'd be like, oh, you're just, oh, it's fine, you'll meet someone, but they didn't get it. Um, hmm. And then we attended this church in Egan for a while, but neither of us were really feeling it. It just, it was a long drive, it was like 20, 25 minutes, and um, and then they really want you to get involved, and I was like, I'm not working till 5.30, and then driving out to church for a half hour to hang out for an hour to drive home, I'm not going to get home till late, and um, it bloom popped up on my Facebook feed as an advertisement on the side, and I clicked on it and was like, meh, all right, we'll go check it out, and so we <laughs> came <laughs> to what church, yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we came in in April, I think, of 2011, 2012, and the, the message topic was forgiveness, and we came for like a couple of different ones, and one of them was Dawn Bryant spoke about her best friend, and that like was really um, powerful message to hear about um, her best friend had been murdered, like kidnapped and murdered, and like she had to be, she heard it over the phone being kidnapped, so she had to be a part of like the trial process and like how she had forgiven the man who had done that to her best friend and like had changed, how it much had changed her life. And that was really powerful. And then the next week was um, a panel, and it was Liz and John and I can't, Charla. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. And I remember. Liz's story kind of resonated with me from being growing up in a church and kind of being a pastor's kid and like having to leave church and 
everything, but then listening to John speak, like, sorry. I just felt like this is what church is supposed to be about. You know, it's not closing the door because you don't fit a certain mold or you wear a ring on your finger or whatever. It's because you want to come and you want to grow and you want to learn something and be in community. And we walked out, Matt and I walked out that day and I turned to him and I was like, "Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm. Yeah, we should stay here. (laughs) So, you know, it was... It was, it, I, and, I, and I still struggle with conversations with my family about certain topics, but I still push the envelope, you know, because I just feel like it's important, and, and, and I think it's good that everyone feels welcome yeah. when they come. You know, I just think it's fine. I mean, fine, I showed up and I had a wedding ring on my finger here. <laughs> The so only maybe reason I was, we love that's you. the only reason why I was accepted. Obviously, they were like, wait, you're in your mid-30s? Do you have a ring? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Bloom. We have a person that specifically looks for that and lets us know. All right. Yeah. I do lots She's of these hand gestures. Right. Mirror me. Yeah. He's invisible, actually. <laughs> um, okay. That's some awesome stuff. You guys did a great job of answering a lot of my questions like in other questions. And so there's a question that came in that I love that we could spend all day on. And so we're going to do it lightning round style, which is going to make this a little tough. Uh, But in just a couple minutes, like one to two minutes, as brief as possible, uh, because it's a deep question, but I think it would be so cool to hear quick. What is your concept of afterlife and how does it apply to your faith? Did Matt send that question in? His favorite book of the Bible is Revelation. (laughs) No, but he's happy right now at the... I'll go. Oh, and maybe I'll preface this by saying you're not like being... Like, there really is a plethora of answers even in our own community, so don't be nervous that you're checking some box. Like, just go from your gut. I don't think it matters. Um, I don't think that... God created people and put them in a finite reality just to think about what happens after that. Like, I don't think that there's this whole earth and this whole experience just trying to get to the other experience. I don't think this is, like, the, the eternal toll road. <laughs> like, there's... I think that whatever happens to be in the afterlife, A, we don't know, B, we can't know, and C there's a reason that this is happening and we're in it right now. And so if you're caught up in what's going to happen next, you're not experiencing what's happening now. And it's like, God put us here for a reason to experience this for a reason. And I don't think that reason is so that we can punch our ticket to heaven. Yeah. And how's that affecting your faith right now? Um, I think especially being a part of Bloom, which is so community-oriented and so speaks to, like, my feelings about... We have people who are homeless all around us, and we have... Minnesota is constantly touted as this, you know, wonderful place, the best quality of life, um, but there's this huge gap in what that looks like for people of color um, 
and an achievement gap in like students who come from certain backgrounds and students who come from other backgrounds and whether they're getting the same resources and the same opportunities. And so if we have all of these problems around us in, in this reality that we're living in right now and we're more focused on like, oh, well, you know, maybe we can evangelize and get them to believe in Jesus and they'll go to heaven and then everything will be all right. I think one of the biggest problems Christianity has, has ever, ever, ever been asked to address is human suffering. And if there's a God who loves people, why is there suffering? And I think that focusing on whatever the afterlife might be is part of the reason that Christianity hasn't been able to answer that question for people. Um, and for me, I, I just feel really drawn to focus on the people who are around us right now and the people who form our community here in this life. Um, because Jesus said, like, if you love me, feed my sheep. If you come to me at the end and I, and I you know, ask you, like, you know, if you saw this person suffering, what did you do for them? And you say, when, when did I ever see you suffering? Like, I didn't know that I was supposed to do that. He's going to be like, I don't know you. So that the idea of the afterlife, whatever it may be, I think Jesus outright told us what you have to do for people around you is, is directly related to what that what that idea of how you get there or what it is supposed to be is. Okay. Uh, can I have that question one more time, quick? Yeah, what, uh, what is your concept of afterlife and how does it figure into your faith today? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what my concept of afterlife is. I mean, I, I guess I believe uh, that the Bible says that we're bodily resurrected, I think, is what the uh, Bible says. I don't know how that's gonna look. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't know asking you what the Bible says. What does Mark think? Right, of, no, uh, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. getting there. Um, so, no, I think that, um, you know, in this uh, vessel that we're in right now, it's, you know, stuff, made of stuff, but there's some kind of spirit animating <coughs> that stuff, and I think that when we die, and uh, there's some kind of liberation of spirit from our matter and stuff, and then uh, we'll all be in communion with... Uh, with our Father, with the Creator, and um, I think that's what's going to happen. I don't know, but you never know, and uh, <laughs> or maybe you do. Do you know? I don't know. What's going? Were we talking about again? Afterlife? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that uh, I think that um, there is a promise made to us that um, we will uh, <laughs> we will um, once again be reconnected with um, the Creator, and that you know. That's going to be heaven, will be total intimacy with, with God. Okay. And how that affects my faith right now, um, it gives me hope because I feel that um, suffering, bad stuff that happens is um, for some reason, um, for some reason life feeds on death. For some reason that's just how this thing works. Mm -hmm. Everything that's living is constantly being fed by something that's dying, no matter what you're eating or doing. It's just this constant recycling of that, but I think that when we leave, when this is all done, which it will be at some point, that we will be once again re reconnected with um, Creator. That's deep. Death feeds life. Nice. Um, 
I hope that there's a heaven. Um, if you would have asked me this question when I was 21, I would have said, hell yes, because I'm going to see Stephen again, and he's going to give me a big hug. <laughs> uh, my cousin died in a climbing accident. Uh, it was the second time up, and the rope broke 10 feet from the ledge. Oh. And they said he felt like a rag doll. So I believe there's a heaven, because I believe the second the rope broke, Stephen went to heaven. And there was no question about it. He didn't cry out. He didn't scream. He fell 200 feet. And I don't know how you could do that if there wasn't a divine being who grabbed your soul as you were plummeting. How does it affect my faith? Um, yeah. I think, I think a lot of times God is unfathomable, and I think it's meant to be that way. Mm. I think we're meant to grapple with things and question things. I think God gave us our brains so that we can doubt and question and talk about it and have things like this so that we can have three totally different thoughts on how it can be but we can have three totally different thoughts on how it can be. Um, I think my junior year of college was one of the hardest years of my life because every day I grappled with death. Um, my cousin died before school started. I had to leave RA training to go be with family and my family has been so close because of it and then Six students on my floor as an RA lost parents, siblings, cousins, and so to me it feels like, well, I would have, and I told, said this all year long, well, I would love to have Stephen back. I know I was put here for a reason. There was a reason why I was put there, and we grappled with death and heaven all year long, and cried and hugged and cried and laughed and and I f feel like if if I didn't believe that there was a heaven or you know then I wouldn't believe that I would see him again okay guys uh, oh we're gonna leave on a slightly lighter note oh, yeah. what's that one thing you're like why did God create seahorses seahorses <laughs> as cool as they are they're weird <laughs> All right, seahorses. Go first. I'm blanking right now. The weirdest thing? We're, 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 the question yeah, well, what's this? Is like, why did God make seahorses? Um, who rides the horse of the sea? Huh? <laughs> Poseidon. <laughs> <laughs> Greek mythology. All right, thank you. Ariel. Ariel. <laughs> Look at this stuff. Keep going. I don't recognize it quite yet. <laughs> Anything? Oh, man. Um, I'm going to go with uh, boy. Uh, Why did God make boys? Boy. Good <laughs> question. Exactly, yep. Yeah, no, uh, <laughs> 
man, why, why did he, why did he make? Uh, I gave why, you the whole time to think about this, Mark. Man, well, it was hard on. to think when we were talking about other stuff. I know, I know. All right, why Luke? I'm going Luke, Pastor Luke. Why did he create me? <laughs> that is a that's a deep question. We could ruminate on that all day long. <laughs> and why did I end up meeting them? That's that's just oh, such a weird. Yeah, that was destiny. It was <laughs> the stars aligned. I don't want to know so much like why God created things. It's like, why did he quit with the dinosaurs? Uh. <laughs> Good, I like that. Yes, why did he quit? He gave up on dinosaurs. We don't know why. They committed the unforgivable sin, I imagine. And just, you're done. Goodbye. Dinosaur apostasy is the name of my new punk band. Yeah, well, it was one dinosaur that just, yeah, ruined it for all of them. Like. He was like, extinct. We don't know which one, but we think his name was Jimmy, and he really blew it. Guys, thank you so much. Seriously, could I get up here and share your story? And uh, Now, this is a fraction of probably all three of their stories and your own. This gives us an idea of the conversations we can get into in our own yards over campfires or meals or libations, whatever is going to get us there. Um, I'm going to stop this now because I want to.